This is Geek Cab with your host, Darnall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Cab for Saturday, April 18th, 2020. Smack dab in the middle. I say right in the middle of the weirdest pandemic the world has ever seen. Not the worst, just the weirdest. It makes you wonder. Hell yeah. It's it, this is really strange, man. <laughs> it really makes you wonder what what other pandemics might have been like. <laughs> In an age of social media and the internet, and uh, and the traditional news media, which has completely gone off the deep end in the past few years. Oh yeah, but it, it's hilarious. Like Bill Maher's, what was his program called? Politically uh, incorrect. Politically incorrect. Yeah, it went off the air, and it shut down production. But apparently, it's back on again. But he's literally broadcasting from his backyard. <laughs> oh, and, and a lot of a, a lot of news anchors are are doing the green screen from home. Green screen from home, yeah. Um, like the the that thing you do, the uh, Tom Hanks movie from the nineteen nineties. Um, they apparently broadcast the movie and had the cast doing commentary on it on YouTube last night. Really? Yeah. They've got all kinds of just live events that are going on to that are free. People can just tune in that uh, just to keep give you some free entertainment while you're at home being, you know, not quite quarantined, because that's not the actual word someone else was saying. You know, house arrest. And I'm like, it, okay, that's a little, <laughs> that's a little dramatical there. You know, lockdown, whatever that means. But like, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's got his YouTube channel, The Show Must Go On. And he is every weekend, so Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, um, he's got one of his entire plays. Uh, videos that they made, you know, years ago that you can just watch in its entirety for free as many times as you want on YouTube over the weekend. <laughs> That's great. So like two two weeks ago, it was Joseph, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Last week, it was Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, and this weekend, it's Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> That's great. Two hours and 45 minutes of Phantom of the Opera. Hey, that's that's exactly what some people need right now. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Phantom of the Opera. I really am. I'm a big fan of Phantom of the Opera ever since I heard the music for the very first time. And I want to watch Phantom of the Opera. I was just um, taken aback that Phantom of the Opera is two hours and 45 minutes long. I was not aware of that previously. I was a little surprised. <laughs> it's it's one of those things, if you like Phantom of the Opera, the time just goes by. I mean, it is a great opera. Or is it a musical? It's a musical. It's a musical. Okay. My bad. I am an uncultured swine. That's why they call me War Pig. <laughs> that's <laughs> perfect did you see that joke coming i didn't i that was that was awesome um, <laughs> uncultured swine <laughs> yeah well that's that's the irony of phantom of the opera isn't it that that most people who enjoy it probably don't enjoy the opera oh i one of the most memorable experiences of my life was actually going and seeing Les Miserables on Broadway. Oh, what was that? That was, that was cool. I, and the funny thing was, I was with a, 
uh, like 105 Boy Scout. Because <laughs> we were going out to the National Jamboree, and so uh, our troops, I was living in northern Utah, and so they, were arranged, they had arranged like this big tour package so that we could see a lot of things while we were back east, because being back east was kind of rare. You know, so we landed in, in upper state New York, and we went to Niagara Falls. We went to Pennsylvania Dutch country. We went yeah. to New York City to go to the Broadway play. This is when I ended up stopping to buy some bootleg T-shirts at a shop. In, I should mention, my Boy Scout uniform Uh huh. in New York. My cocky shirt with my patches, my rank, um, you know, a a fanny pack on that was red that had the the insignia of our council on, um, and shorts, green shorts, not full pants, shorts, hiking boots, green and red socks. Um, in order to catch up, I got kind of got kind of uh left behind or I stayed behind in order to buy these t-shirts and so I had to catch up with the adult advisor stayed behind with me so in order to get there on time to go see the show I had to get on the subway in my boy scout uniform and if you could picture 1989 New York subway right all Tagged up and graffiti everywhere, and people just staring at me like, "Who the hell are you?" <laughs> awesome, awesome. But I saw the show, and it was great, man. The set was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. It just, uh, it were these two pieces that were independently motorized, and and they would be houses at one point, and then. The top parts of them, like the top third, would uh, turn down. They were motorized, so they would move down like transformers, and then they would squish together. And all of a sudden, it, and turn around, the stage would rotate around this center part. And all of a sudden, it was a wall, not two houses. And then they would pull it back again and lower this, you know, put it back into shape and lower this. Um, platform and all of a sudden it was a bridge over the water that Javert jumped from and you're just like wow that's brilliant who the hell came up with that their set designer was a genius um and so I'm experiencing culture and I'm loving it because I thought it was awesome and I'm with 105 Boy Scouts guess what most of them were doing uh jeering sleeping Sleeping in a dark theater in the afternoon, <laughs> watching a Broadway play on Broadway, they're sleeping. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> so, but I liked it. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, we had a lot of other great experiences on that tour. Um, so it was worth it to me. It is quite a tour all the way from Niagara Falls down to New York. And then, then all the way down to Virginia, because that's where the... Uh, that's where the Fort AP Hill is to uh, oh, where wow. they hold the jamboree. And we end up the last thing we did before we flew out to go home was we visited Bush Gardens, uh, and that was kind of a trip. I liked that a lot. Uh, if you <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, it was a great experience for me. It's a great couple of weeks. I feel like I should move on, even I'm bored at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah there's there's tons of there's tons of entertainment for free i think uh, someone told me that comcast if you've got comcast internet they just they just disabled all throttling all download limits you just download the whole internet while you can oh well there you go folks <laughs> I, we have uh xfinity here um, and apparently it is ridiculously fast what, uh, the people I live with pay for. Um, my brother, uh, 
just bought an Xbox One X. Um, and we haven't been able to play online together for a long time because he hasn't been able to upgrade from the Xbox 360. While well, I've been enjoying the hyperkinetic Xbox One X goodness. Um, and so the very first thing he did was he bought a game that the two of us could play online. Um, and he started downloading it's 15 gigabytes. And so I said, oh, that's great. I probably over have, already have that, but I didn't. So I went and bought it. And while I was talking to him, he had gotten like 20% of the game downloaded in two hours. And while I was talking to him, I, uh, in just a few minutes, I had downloaded almost half of the game. <laughs> You've got the real deal. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm not trying to show you up. <laughs> this is not my fault. But yeah, hopefully we'll be able to play sometime today or tomorrow or something. Oh, that sounds um, great. It's fun to spend time with my family. I like mm -hmm. it, and a lot of people don't. I want to tell people how exactly how prepared I am for this show today. I want to reveal in full what I have done for you, our audience, and getting ready for the show today. Oh, a peek behind the curtain. Yeah. I want to tell you how many video games I have finished this week to be able to review. Are you ready? None. None. Not you had all one. week, and you didn't finish a video game. Didn't finish the video game. You know how many books I finished this week? None. It's, oh, it's none. It's none. And I didn't watch a single movie this week. I think. I think. <laughs> That's how you know it's been a good week. <laughs> I don't remember. I've been working all week, like, hard. From I've been waking up at, like, 4 or 5 in the morning and, and working all day until, like, 7 at night. I have an hour when I play video games at night and then I get ready for bed and I go to bed and, and get five or six hours of sleep. <laughs> so I've been working hard all week, just putting in time. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure what I did all week because I didn't work and I don't think I finished any games or books or movies or anything any either. But, um, on the note of family, I did uh, bring my brother in for uh, our Roll20 D&D game. So now our, uh, we've got a game running every other day, every three days or so, uh, three players deep, and it is a lot of fun. Now, I, have we discussed this on the air, or are we just talking about this like... Uh... Like on the phone when we were talking. Well, I, I think we we talked about playing on Roll Twenty a bit last week on the show. Okay, that's sad. I I can't remember what we discussed in private and what we discussed on the air. That could be really bad in the future. <laughs> I'm all confused now. <laughs> no, I. There's a lot of news that has come out this week that might be good to talk about. Um, and, and someone, in fact, on Twitter just dropped me a couple of things that I want to talk about. But go ahead and tell us about your D&D game because there are a lot of people who have asked me that. I just had that question like three weeks ago. Someone said, okay, what are some good ways to play D&D? What are, uh, you know, other than Roll20, uh, you know, what are some ways to play D&D online or how do you get set up on Roll20? That's another question I've seen. Oh, well, to answer the second question first, Roll20 is pretty simple. It's like any other website. You sign up for an account, you can upload an avatar, and as soon as you, your account is associated with an email address, so then you can start a game and invite people or uh, you can give people your email, say, hey, I'm so-and-so on Roll20, and your buddy can add you to the game. Okay? And once you've been added to a game, you log into the portal, and boom, the games that you're in are listed there on the front page. So it's kind of like any other website you use. Uh, and then it it takes some time to get used to the tools because the tools are very idiosyncratic. Uh, they... Uh, 
Roll20 is definitely a system that's weird and compli complicated enough that once you get in the groove, that it works for you. But until you get used to the way it works, it's it's very frustrating to use. The benefit is, though, that they do have a lot of pre-made stuff if you're playing one of the major games. Yes. if uh, The one I've seen the most of is Dungeons & Dragons. If you're playing 5th edition... Um, you, it's they make it very easy to just buy a module and it'll load all the maps and the art assets and everything for you so you can just say hey I'm gonna play the curse of Strahd the Ravenloft module just buy it it'll import all the maps and everything like that and you can run the game with all the tokens and the maps and everything you want are already preloaded uh, yeah um, uh, mixed DM. If you're a player, it's really easy, but the DM has a lot of background work, especially if you're bringing your own stuff. Um, the it's it's great if you're just going to use Wizards of the Coast modules. Um, bringing your own stuff, you have to fuss with uh, map sizes and snapping it to the built-in grid, and there's different layers that you can play with, and you have to learn how to do the fog of war and everything. Uh, it's it's a pretty steep learning curve for the for the DM and and the guy that we're playing with is uh, he's doing a great job of you know we're learning something new every week and how the system works and and everybody's really patient with the you know when the system messes up uh, I I will say that it's popular for people to use Discord for audio video during a Roll Twenty game and last time we played we found out why we had a lot of technical difficulties people having to reconnect to the voice chat and everything like that. Um, so that's the question, answer the question about Roll20. The, the other question you're getting, people are asking, hey, what else can we do? Um, Fantasy Grounds is probably the other big tabletop for role-playing games. And it has, it's got a lot of, of games built in. So a lot of stuff is automated for you. And I haven't played it myself, so I, I, I can't personally uh, attest to that. Um, this is the system that Matt Colville swears by. And if you've never seen his uh, YouTube channel uh, and writings, he is a longtime DM. He does content like this. I highly recommend checking out his channel, Matt, Matt Colville. He recommends Fantasy Grounds. He plays with it. A lot of the stuff is automated. And it's got a lot more games automated than Roll20. Roll20 has lots of support for games and character sheets and things, but... Uh, they've a a automated D&D, &D, Pathfinder, Starfinder, Traveler, Dungeon Crawl Classics. Well, anyway, lots of stuff there. Uh, but I think the other thing is, screw it, man. Just use Discord and Theater of the Mind, right? Uh, you you don't need, a, you know, there's, there's a million and one dice rollers. You could roll dice in Google if you wanted, uh, if you didn't want to roll physical dice. Uh, you can, you know, shared whiteboards in uh, Microsoft Teams actually should be really good for that uh, if, if you're using Teams. But Zoom, Discord, whatever. Uh, everybody knows that all you need is is paper, pencil, and uh, and chatting with your buddies. All right. That's actually, what I got. go ahead. No, I, I've got a. I'm ready. I, I've got my hand on the switch as soon as we run out of this topic. So <laughs> I'm chill. I, I'm prepared. I, I, I'm suddenly at peace. I'm not worried about what we're going to talk about next, man. It's, well, it's cool. I, I've, well, I've got a question. Art Anon Studios, blue and, blue and white G1 map gets sliced into 30 pieces and shown one at a, one at a time. What's the, uh, what's the context there? Are you using Roll20? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and Discord uh, MixGM says suggests that on Discord you can use different channels for different purposes. Um, have a have an out of character channel. Have a treasure channel. Have uh, Discord is great for sharing campaign news, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So so. Ardenon suggesting use in Roll20, don't use their Fog of War feature. I don't know. I liked their Fog of War feature. Um, but I know that I played with a guy who paid for the premium subscription for 
dynamic lighting and that's pretty entertaining <laughs> it's 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 funny to watch but it's it's just frustrating in game it's it's a little buggy it's a little wonky and uh, uh, but it does save a lot of dm time where the dm doesn't have to constantly use the fog of war tool to reveal areas so uh, it's a trade-off but we we had a lot of things like weird shadows would be on the map and and everything and uh, it'd be it'd be difficult to sort of wrangle what what's actually revealed or not and it's super slow yeah uh, we in fact we played last night we didn't use any of these features besides maybe fog of war and uh, we had one of our poor players is uh, quarantined with a Chromebook and trying to play roll Tony on a, on a Chromebook was <laughs> uh, he he said it was a slideshow there was there was so much lag every time he tried to use it. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, you threw out the word Chromebook and my mind, you know, it crashed. Yeah, I didn't mean I, to do that to you. I, I think it was somebody owning a Chromebook and my mind just couldn't, it, it couldn't process it. And, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> I have got a top of the line uh, Macintosh. Oh. When, when I bought it, it was the top of the line Macintosh. There, you couldn't add anything else to it. I had all the all of the biggest updates you could get, except for RAM, which I bought independently because only idiots buy RAM from Apple. <laughs> so the thought of buying a Chromebook just—it makes my skin crawl. <laughs> hey, you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, and and I have. Uh, I push this machine beyond its limits constantly. We've talked about that before, though. Mm. Um, that's actually a good segue if we're if we're uh, take it away. So I wanted to talk about something uh, different than anything we've ever talked about before. Um, so brand new subject, uh, tangentially related to role playing, tangentially related to um writing books it's uh world building and world design Ooh. and so i want to talk about something that uh this is something i have been doing this last week that has been surprisingly effective but uh it's weirdly effective and i don't know if it would be applicable, I don't think it would be applicable in every situation, but it's been very, very effective in mine. I'm building a number of different settings that are all radically different from each other, but all have to fit together and work together to form one over setting. So what I've been doing is um, surfing online content art for various things. I've been collecting pictures of what I find that is appropriate for whatever it happens to be. Um, if I find a picture that seems appropriate for, say, a Japanese-influenced uh, high-tech uh, warrior wielding a katana who's also wearing you know a flak vest or something okay that goes into one folder for the setting where that's appropriate if i find a picture of a big bad brutal orc with glowing eyes and black skin that goes in a different folder for where that's appropriate and so on and so forth um and i'm slowly accumulating these i'm going through um, entire artist galleries on DeviantArt and ArtStation. Um, I'm looking through, you know, I'll get linked to something on Pinterest and I won't be able to find the actual artist. Either they don't have an online art gallery or I can't find it. But below the piece of artwork on Pinterest is a whole bunch of other pieces of art that are related. And so I'll just be looking through there and clicking on other pieces that seem interesting. And so 
I'll be, uh, you know, f shuffling out those that I find useful or inspiring. And I don't know how to define inspiring. I don't know how, there's no way to categorize it, right? There's no way to give you a formula that says, okay, this is inspiring and this is going to help you and this is going to work. All I can say is that when I look at a picture, it causes something to tingle in my brain. It causes something in my brain to go, that's interesting in a way. I feel like that's interesting. And so I shuffle that picture out. And there'll be other pictures that just, they look fine, but they just don't cause that tingle. They just don't make me think, yeah, that's interesting. I can use that. So I pass them over. And other pictures, I think those are really cool. That's really well done. But it doesn't fit. It doesn't work with what I'm doing. And so I pass them by. So I've got folders with, with dozens or hundreds of pictures of various things in these settings. And let me tell you what it's allowing me to do in terms of a mindset. It is bringing all these settings into sharper and sharper focus in my mind. Not in a... There's, there's two ways you can really approach a setting. You can start with a, uh, it's like word definitions. There is the denotation and connotation. And denotation is the actual words you write in the dictionary, right? When someone says, well, look up the dictionary definition of this word, that's the denotative definition. But the connotative definition is all those subtle shades of meaning that, kind of attached to a word uh, that can change over time or change in different subcultures. Um, and that's just kind of the feel. Well, the facts of something are correct, are necessary. You need the facts of a setting if you're going to be writing things in them uh, on enough scale. The more you're going to be writing in a setting or the more you're going to be um, presenting this setting for other people to play in, the more you need to get the facts not only right, but also simplified and presented clearly. But you also need that feeling, that distinctiveness, because you can tell immediately the differences between uh, one role-playing setting and another, if they're well-defined and different enough. Um, think of any two really good settings, and there are enough differences that you can feel that. So I'm defining these settings by picking up these pictures of concept art, not using the concept art to define the setting, but using the concept art as examples of what I've already got in mind. And, and sometimes to inspire a little bit of things. You know, I'm laying it out and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot this. Do I want my orcs to wear, you know, flowers and kilts and to be really that barbaric? Or do I want my orcs to wear armor? Are they wearing chainmail and carrying swords? And I have to think about that. Put that in my mind and write down, okay, what are my orcs going to be? This kind of concept art can jog your mind. And just by making you think on these subjects, bring it more clearly. But I found that after doing this for a couple of weeks, the feel, the connotative emotions of these different settings are coming alive in ways that I never would have expected that are so much more vibrant, so much more vivid, so much more clear that uh, and tangible almost. Like I can almost reach out and touch the feeling of these settings. It's just amazing. And it is helping me to 
put a lot of different things in perspective and to understand approaches to a lot of things and even define problems that I never thought about, problems that I kind of sensed, but I never directly identified why they existed or brought them into my consciousness so that I could analyze it. Here's the thing about a problem. If you are deliberately designing something, and if you're building a role-playing game, at least for me, I have to deliberately design it. Um, then you need to bring the problem into your consciousness so you can define the problem, so you can analyze the problem, so you can brainstorm solutions. Now, that that doesn't have to be for a lot of people. Like Rifts wasn't consciously designed. It was mad inspiration thrown together with a bunch of different solutions put together, and it just worked. It just works as a setting. It just works as a set of game mechanics. And D&D itself kind of grew over time. It wasn't, it wasn't consciously designed as a, as a whole from the get-go. Um, and, and there's an argument to be made that this kind of organic growth of things added on to other things while you're playtesting it all is really a good way to put something through a rigorous growth product and the best growth process and the best way to do it. I'm not going to touch that except to say, yeah, that can be the best way to do it for some people. Um, so I'm going to put this aside and say for this project, the best way for me to do it has been to consciously think about everything and to use things like this work with the concept art to just keep on putting it in my brain until my brain, ting, something pops. I finally got a crucial amount of information that I identified what I need and I can now consciously work on it. I did the same thing with zombie movies and we talked about that on many uh, episodes like earlier this year, I think, or late last year, where I was watching like for 20 days, 29 days in a row, I watched a zombie movie every single day. And that ended when finally on the last day, I identified what I saw as a problem with zombies. And as soon as I identified that problem, as soon as that little flag went up, ding, and I knew what the problem was. I knew why zombies had problems. And by having an insight and why all zombies were the same all zombies are the same because there's no core truth to zombies they're an agglomeration of certain characteristics that work together but there's no way to really grow out from them without changing them substantially and that's because they don't logically fit together. There's no logical reason but if you build them slightly around a logical reason then they're extensible Instead of just being one blob of characteristics, okay, they eat the dead. And uh, when everybody who dies becomes a zombie, but being bitten makes you turn faster, and they shuffle around, and they, kind, they moan, and they kind of remember their past lives, and uh, they go to places they remember. It's just a, an agglomeration of characteristics that, you know, George Romero came up with. And there's, there's some problems there in terms of monsters. Vampires have a clear core. They are the way they are because that's the way that works. They're cursed souls. Why don't they show up in mirrors? Because they don't have a soul. Why can't they cross running water? and so forth, you can chase down all these things and they all come back to one core characteristic. They work, they fit together. Zombies don't, except that that agglomeration of characteristics works by itself as itself and you can't really mess around with it too much until it falls apart. So I had to watch enough zombie movies to finally understand this, to understand this truth. Hey, Zombies don't make a lot of sense. If a zombie reproduces by biting a person and then they become a zombie and then you go and create another zombie by biting them and you create a horde and the strength of these slow shuffling creatures is in the horde, why do zombies eat people? Why do they take people down and kill them and tear apart the body? 
why wouldn't they just bite a person and infect them and eat a little bit of them and then move on? As soon as they get eaten enough to zombify or begin changing, why don't zombies just abandon the bodies and walk on? It doesn't really make sense in terms of what the monster is. There has to be, and so it, it, in order to make zombies make sense, there's a few small changes you can do to make them make more sense, to make them more like the sensible structure of a vampire. So, sorry, John, I'm dancing all over the place. Do you have a question? I'm trying to put it all together in my mind. Without going too much into spoiler space, uh, can you give an example of what you were talking about at the beginning, uh, as you know, specifically to your uh, to the project that you're working on? Like, how did how did the image search and and the the creative thought process solve a problem for you or or give you a, a concrete uh, answer to uh, the a question you may have had or or uh, fill in the blank about one of your settings? Absolutely, and that's just what I was building up to. Um, well, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> <laughs> so, a lot of artistic processes when you're doing research or when you're trying to conceptualize something new is you gather information, and once you've gathered uh, that information, um, then you hit a critical moment where you don't need to gather any more information. You go kind of silent until the truth pops out of your mind. Now, I didn't get that from myself. I got that from somebody else, but I recognize that's how my mind also works. Now, one of the things that happened to me is while I was gathering these pictures um, and keeping them in folders, I noticed something. It, what I noticed was this relative ratio um, of how many pictures I was getting for different things. And, and I tweeted about it uh, a couple days ago. Um, just browsing at random between these, you know, between these uh, different accounts and what I found on Pinterest. I wasn't searching terms so much. I was just oh, I found a cool picture. Well, I pull that off and then I search for that picture to try and find a bigger version, a higher res version or a more clear version. And then I, that would take me to Pinterest. Then I would find these other pictures and that would take me to an account. And then I would browse through that account and so on and so forth. Um, so it, was, it, it wasn't technically random but it wasn't guided, it wasn't deliberate, I wasn't searching for terms. So I wasn't biasing my search by deliberately searching for, say, elves or orcs or whatever. This is just what I ran across. Browsing at random, I found uh, more than 100 medieval or fantasy humans. I found 69 elves, elves, 21 orcs, and zero dwarfs. Oh my zero. It's an unrandom, non-scientific sample. I'm reading from my tweet now. But nobody made fan art of dwarfs. Nobody. That needs to change. And so I, I posted that up and I got a lot of feedback and people were pointing out, well, here's somebody who made fan art of dwarfs and they made, in an account with, you know, 100 pictures, they made like three and then I had an artist respond who said, well, the, the fact is with the normal, it's really hard to make dwarfs look heroic with their bodily proportions. And I'll tell you why. They're shaped like an egg. <laughs> That's what dwarf bodies are. Big bellies, you know, a little bit smaller chest, small head, egg shape. And then you stick two arms on it and two little stumpy legs on it. They look ridiculous. They're not heroic. It's hard 
to pose. This is why Gimli in the Lord of the Rings movies from uh, you know 20 years ago, why in the first movie, Peter Jackson made, worked hard to make him heroic, and then in movies two and three, he became what he was naturally going to be all along, comic relief. Because dwarfs look ridiculous. They're shorter than human beings anyway, and they look like comic relief. Damn it, you're right. <laughs> that has to change. Because so, we all know dwarves are awesome. So, looking at these pictures, counting up the number of pictures I got showed me a problem. Dwarfs aren't heroic. They're not badass. They're kind of amusing guys people think are funny and make fun of them. So I need to change them. I need to make my dwarfs somehow... I need to make my dwarfs somehow heroic. So they can be heroes. And yes, they need to be shorter than humans, but they need to be badass shorter than humans. They need to be those guys that, uh, like, <laughs> like Randall uh, in the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie, right? Curse, Curse of the Black Pearl. He was uh, that actor, uh, the short actor. He was a tough, tough guy. Mm -hmm. um, they just they can't be comic relief you can't have an entire player character race that's comic relief you need them to do something more you need to make them badass you need to make them tough you need to make them stand out if you want to have a comic relief race in a fantasy RPG that's fine you can make a comic relief race, but it shouldn't be one of your core player character races. It should be a comic relief race that is heavily encouraged to not be a PC race. Um, so by gathering all this information, I realized... And a person who was tweeting at me helped me realize. He was the one who said... Oh, yeah, it's, and I'm assuming he was an artist, uh, either that or he heard it from an artist who said, hey, yeah, these, their proportions just aren't, it's really hard to make their proportions uh, heroic. It, it's a gentleman called Speed Knob on Twitter. Um, Making the anatomy heroic is a nightmare. So... Uh, I'm I'm trying to work out in my mind, and it may take working with an artist. Um, and and again, I've got a long time that I've been working on this, so I can you know keep on thinking on it and refining it and coming up with ideas and stuff as long as as I have time. But I need to make dwarfs cool. I need to make dwarfs badass. I need to make them so that when players want to play them, they do because not just because they have high stats bonuses, but because they're genuinely an admirable and awesome race to play, and there is something intrinsic to them that is noble or inspiring or awesome. I need to make dwarves awesome and not comic relief. That's a problem that I realized going through this by gathering the data from this. And I didn't expect that when I started this. It's completely, completely at random. That's the example I was working towards. Wow. That didn't go where I expected it to, but I, I'm totally on board with making dwarves awesome on, you know, on a, as a surface level reaction. Um, but I love the fact that now, so 
let me let me back up and say this is the entire point. This is the big overarching point I was trying to get to for people who are trying to write a role-playing game uh, setting or for people who are trying to write books. You want to know your world and be comfortable with it so that you write it without being self-conscious about it. And you can tell people who are self-conscious about the world that they're trying to write in. Because they're the people that throw out a lot of unnecessary details to try and gain credibility about their world. Details that the audience doesn't need to know. Details that are kind of placed awkwardly. Details that get in the way of the storytelling. Whereas um, Tolkien knew Middle Earth inside and out to where he could toss away a line uh, in the story in The Lord of the Rings where Aragorn insisted that Bilbo include a green ring uh, in his poem uh, about uh, Baron and Luthien without telling him why and then never explained it in the entire book. Hmm. And that goes back to material he had made for the Silmarillion. That goes back to specific details that were in that material he made in the Silmarillion. It's just there in the story. It's implicit in the story. He isn't self-conscious about that detail. It's just a detail that's there. You need to know your world good enough that you write as if you're familiar with it. And it's not something awkward that you're a stranger and you're trying to describe it to someone and you don't really know it yourself. And I'm not telling you how to do that for you. There may be a whole different process that you have to go through. Um, and for you, it might be, you know, writing up encyclopedia entries about your world or it, it might just be that you already have it in the back of the head, back of your head, and you just know it. Um, that's fine. I'm not going to criticize it and tell you you're wrong. But for me, gathering these pieces of art and sorting them into folders and looking at them, they help me learn these worlds. They help me know these worlds, and they, they help me define these worlds sometimes. I would see a picture, and I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make literal sense. But you know what? If it were this and that, and I changed it completely from what the audience or what the uh, artist intended, that could fit in my world, and that would imply some of these things. And not every picture worked that way, but a few of them did, and that helped me get into the world even more because now I knew something kind of cool, something that looked different or felt different or was completely unique to this world that people in it took for granted, that they didn't really think twice about, that they just dealt with the same way we deal with crossing the street. We look both ways, make sure cars aren't coming, or we look at the light to make sure it says green to walk, and we just cross. We teach our kids to do it, but we don't have to awkwardly talk about it to other people because it's just a part of our life. Well, yes, um, of course, the other day when I reached the intersection of the automobile throughways, I reached out and pressed the button to initiate the pedestrian access signal that would halt all traffic. No, they don't have to be awkward, right? We wouldn't because we know it. It's just part of our world. And you kind of have to get beyond the awkwardness of exposition to make it part of your story so that readers just, it's just storytelling. It's not exposition anymore. It's just storytelling. It's just part of the story. It's just natural as breathing. And these pictures have helped me done it. Now when I look at these settings... I feel at home there more than I ever have before. I, I feel the feeling of, of dwelling there. I know things about this world that I didn't know.
And I can communicate that when I write up a source book for the role-playing game, or I can communicate that if I write a story uh, set in these worlds. And putting together all this art uh, is what has helped me to uh, help me to get there. And what I'm saying is maybe it would help you. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. Uh, maybe you don't have time to, you know, to do that. But maybe there's something else that would help you do that. Um, that would, I mean, especially if you're going to be doing what a lot of people are doing nowadays on Amazon, which is, you know, writing uh, a serialized series of books set in a fictional world. You've had a science fiction series and you're going to be writing several books. Man, making sure to get comfortable in your world to where you feel at home in the world, that's uh, that's going to help you. The longer the series, the more more valuable it is to you to, to get up to speed and to where you feel comfortable writing in that world. So, yeah, when, when I say I've been working this week from yay early morning to, you know, late at night, so 13, 14 hours a day, I mean, part of the time I'm doing Twitter, um, but a lot of the time, this is what I'm doing. In fact, I was doing it this morning, looking at pictures and sorting them out and throwing some away and things like that. It's just really cool to see things taking shape. Uh, and I knew individual elements that had to go into these settings but I didn't know how all those individual elements would fit together. And to start realizing what the gestalt of an individual setting would be like, what all these elements would feel like when they come together is uh, it's beautiful and it's amazing. And it's really, really uh, awesome to see after so long of working on it. Oh, that's incredible. I'm I'm glad that it I'm glad that your search has brought you such profound insight. I think I'm done. <laughs> I'm I might be out of words for that topic. You might be out of words. <laughs> for right now at least. And that's I've never we've never talked before on the show. So hmm. Oh, it's it's really fascinating. It definitely, uh, and uh, that's something similar I heard from uh, another friend of mine. Uh, he's been on the show actually, uh, Hardy Labelle. He he enjoys that part of the process. That that process in particular works for him. He'll go on, he'll go on Pinterest. Uh, that's his favorite place, and he'll look for certain things and 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 let those images sort of spark ideas in his head and help him understand what he's trying to do. Do yeah. we have any uh, questions from the um, audience? The audience has been listening in rapt attention and not asked any questions. Uh, although, although there's a, a discussion on Lord of the Rings dwarves, since we got, we get on that tangent but yeah, they're not all comic relief. Oh, that's about it. Oh, I think I'm spent for the day, Daddy Warpig. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I, I just think that in creative endeavors, it, it can be really helpful to go off the beaten path um and try to try some things you might not have thought of before um and sometimes you'll just stumble onto them i just stumbled onto this i didn't know it would work like this and when it did work like this i'm frankly i've been kind of shocked <laughs> um Every person who is creative, there there are obviously some 
commonalities, but there are a lot of differences too, and you need to find what works for you. And when you hear advice from authors, especially authors who say things like never, ever do this or always, always do that, just take it with a grain of salt. What works for them might not work for you, and they found it an invariable rule for them. It doesn't mean it's going to be an invariable rule for you. Um, however, I think the two things I would put forth as really good rules that I think would almost always work for everybody is get exercise during the day, first thing in the morning if you can manage it, and get good sleep. Uh, I think both those things would would help anybody be a better creative, better at music or, you know, whatever. Um, avoid addictions. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Those are the three pieces of advice I've heard that would help. I, I, I see those as being kind of universal, but, you know, I'm not going to march around screaming at people if they don't do them it's your life man but being healthy in body and mind can't help but help when it comes to creative endeavors that's that's my opinion a uh, sort of in in stark contrast with the classic tale of the tortured artist or the you know drug addicted musician or and, and whatnot there's a lot of great quality stuff made by healthy people too yeah <laughs> i was i was thinking of tolkien in particular uh, but he was also sort of he probably had some serious ptsd from world of war one so never mind well you know people have what they say quote unquote therapy that helped them deal with their ptsd i think his faith and his uh, his stories were his therapy. I mean, he wrote sure. stories about heroism and heroics, and and those things that disturbed him about World War One went into his stories. Um, I mean, we saw nineteen seventeen, and you and they warned him. Okay, you see those big pits there, uh, shell holes. And if you go into them, you know, you won't get out. Guys just sink into them and drown. Um, well, those big shells where people just drowned and were lying under the surface of the water and stuff, those became those dead marshes outside of uh, Mordor where the, where the undead were lying underneath the water with their candles and so on and so forth. Um, so he took those horrors that he saw and he did something with them. They didn't weigh on his mind like that. Uh, he, he doesn't seem to have been destroyed by them. He seems to have, uh, taken them and used them. Fair. Use the, use of those experiences in a positive manner. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. All right. I think we did it. <laughs> uh, well, it was really cool to gab with you today um, for a sort of not predetermined episode. <laughs> uh, talked about some really interesting stuff, and I, I always love talking about gaming and and online RPGs and, and it's fascinating to hear your thought processes on your big project. Uh, so um, thanks to you for being a fun co-host. Thanks for everybody hanging out live in the chat. Everybody who's listening later. I hope you enjoy the show. Um, I just want to thank everybody. I'm glad I had a, glad I had a chance to talk about it. It's been a, just a great experience to see and and go through. Um, that process was really great uh, and is ongoing. Um, and I hope uh, I hope it uh, provided anybody uh, provided people listening with uh, some advice or some ideas for your own work. 
uh, for your own processes and stuff like that. Um, I want to thank everybody who is listening live. I want to thank everybody who listens later. Um, this is Geek Gab. We're available on youtube.com slash Geek Gab. Uh, and what I'm going to do before we get set to finish a show is I'm going to pause uh, because I didn't pause while uh, Dornall was doing his spiel. I'm going to pause to take a quick sip of water. Glug. Because my voice is, my throat and mouth are dry. They're completely parched. Not that you would expect that from the amount of talking I did. YouTube.com slash GeekGab. But if you don't like YouTube, if the very mention of the name YouTube makes you spit on the ground just like this, you can also get us on the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, and soundcloud.com just do a search for geek gab on any of those places and you can subscribe to us listen on the device of your choice in the manner of your choosing we are here just about every week at just about this time whether we have a topic prepared or not somehow we make it work thanks everybody for tuning in we are signing off for today but don't you worry don't you fret we will be back